0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. An elderly woman, very tiny, dressed entirely in black, was talking to herself in the baked goods aisle in Star Market. She started to say something to me, then faltered and looked away. For once, I wasn't about to be late to my next appointment. I said... Are you lost?" In a mix of English and a language I don't know, she explained that she was looking for muffin cups. Do you know the word for muffin cups in your second or third language? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) At any rate, it would be best not to get me going on muffin cups. I'm sure that the people who stock them hide them on purpose. Maybe they're saving them all up for themselves. The last time I went on a treasure hunt for muffin cups, I finally unearthed them in the ethnic foods aisle. (laughs) Once again, I joined the search. Actually, the woman just stood and watched me as I got down to scan the lowest shelf. From the looks of her, bless her heart, I don't think she'd crouched down that low in many years. Finally, somewhere under the cake mixes and the decorator's frosting, I spotted them. She was ecstatic. She wanted 100. (laughs) It turned out that she was making something special for her church. When I stood up and emptied my armload of muffin cups into her cart, something happened that's never happened to me with a complete stranger in Star Market before. She threw her arms around me and kissed me. I was elated. The feeling of having been blessed stayed with me the entire evening, and I recall it now. A few days later, I was waiting to cross Berkeley Street on my way back to the church. The sidewalk was treacherous with ice. As the light changed, a nicely-dressed gentleman stepped off the curb and started one of those slow-motion cartoon falls, his feet scrambling wildly underneath him. I was in just the right place to catch him. And I did awkwardly by planting myself in front of him and grabbing him under his armpits. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) But just before he could be mortified, I asked, shall we dance? And without missing another beat, he slipped his right arm around the waist of my puffy down parka and held up his left. I took it and we Arthur Murray'd across Berkeley, (laughs) laughing. Like many of you, I love Blanche DuBois' famous line, Say it with me, whoever you are, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. The truth is, that I depend on the kindness of people who know and are known by me, people for whom I wouldn't hesitate to roll out of the med- bed in the middle of the night if you needed me. But it is also that true that I and all of us depend on the kindness of strangers. I always remember my friend Peter Fleck of blessed memory telling this story. He is speaking of himself and his wife, Ruth, and these are his words. I remember the day after our arrival in the United States. We had left Nazi-occupied Holland on March 16, 1941. We arrived in New York after an involuntary stay of some six weeks in Spain on May 8. The next day, we took a bus. I don't remember the destination. I do remember that I asked the driver what the fare was And he looked at us as if we had escaped from a lunatic asylum, which, of course, in a way, we had. A nickel, he said. And I remember looking puzzled at my handful of unfamiliar coins until the driver took two nickels out of my hand, shrugged his shoulders, and told us to step back. I remember thinking, my God. I don't know a soul in this place, and I am not known by a soul in this place. Anything may happen to us, and nobody will care, because nobody knows us. The first and seventh principles of Unitarian Universalism call us to affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and to respect our deep interconnectedness. Our faith calls us to be the strangers on whom others can depend. I read an article this week on the ethics of organ donation. It raised questions of the grief of the donors surviving loved ones, the guilt of the recipients, and the possibilities and perils of donors and recipients meeting. Being mixed up with organ donation is a situation no one in the world would choose, and yet, when faced with it, people have made strangers into family. There's something here for us to learn. Lessons in letting go and holding on, and spiritual lessons of strangers as the not yet befriended. Here's a little of the story that most compelled me. Mark Scoggins is not the type to dither over his appearance, but one day in April 2003, he had uncharacteristic difficulty choosing what to wear. After consulting with his wife, Linda, he finally put on a brown corduroy suit jacket, an unstarched dress shirt, polished work boots and a slightly strained smile. His palms were sheened with sweat. Scoggins, 66, is a lean, gray-haired man, a retired electrician, quiet and courtly. 20 years ago, he had his first heart attack. And by January 2002, he was confined to a hospital cardiac unit. Early in March, his family was told they should visit him for the last time. Then, with the dizzying suddenness of all transplants, a heart became available, and on March 23, he was rushed into surgery. Mark Scoggins, to his bewildered delight, was handed back his life. Eight weeks after the transplant, he danced at his eldest son's wedding. Photos from that day show him looking stalwart, flushed, and amazed. Less than a year later, Linda patted his arm as they walked toward a large group of people waiting nearby. Mark squared his shoulders and reached his hand toward the nearest person, a handsome Hispanic woman, who ignored his gesture and enveloped him in a grand, exuberant embrace. He hugged her in return. Tears sparkled on his cheeks. The heart of this woman's son is in Mark Scoggins' chest. Helen Ginnell released him from the hug and turned to the small boy who appeared to be five or six, standing solemnly beside her, clutching a pink stethoscope. He is also named Mark. Do you want to hear your daddy's heart now, Mark? He nodded, his eyes wide, and watched in silence as Mark Scoggins unbuttoned his shirt. Glancing questioningly at his grandmother, Mark let her guide both the stethoscope and his ears into position, then listened, his brows knit. Hear it, Helen Gannell prodded. The crowd was silent. Young Mark looked up, his face inscrutable. He pulled away from the stethoscope and instantly placed his palm full upon Mark Scoggin's chest maintaining contact. whoop," he whispered, imitating the sound he'd just heard, the beating of the heart of his 23-year-old father, Mark Tonai, Jr., who had died of a gunshot wound 13 months earlier. It says, whoomp. Helen Ginnell waited patiently for her grandson to finish with the stethoscope before moving into his place. The knobs in her ears, she appeared incandescent with wonder. As a mother, you know that sound so well, she'll say later. I heard it when he was inside me, and I felt it when he was a little boy sleeping. And then I felt it on his deathbed. It was the last thing I felt before he was taken away from me. And now to hear it again, as strong as ever. It's a miracle. Mark Scoggins rebuttoned his shirt and turned to Helen Ginnell. Your son must have had a great heart, he said quietly, to have had so many people love him. I am so very sorry for your loss. And I, I thank you. By nature reserved, he hesitated for an instant, then wrapped her in another sturdy embrace. It was, she would later say, exactly the way Mark used to hug. My spiritual companions... There was a time that not one of us in this sanctuary knew one another. We were all strangers to one another. Today we made our way here and our spiritual journeys converged. Our faith calls us to be the strangers on whom others can depend. May we take our faith into the aisle and into the street whether or not we end up hugging in the aisle or dancing in the street, is up to us. My prayer is that we will place our palm full on the pulse of the world and listen to one another's hearts. Amen.